This is Beth Strange, founder of Beth Strange Strategy. If you want to learn how to level up and be successful through masterminds, then you must listen to my good friend, Brandon Straza with The Mastermind Effect. You love to learn, grow, and improve yourself, but you're still not where you want to be? The right mastermind can be the ultimate secret weapon when it comes to personal development, but trying to find the one that's built for you isn't always easy. Welcome to The Mastermind Effect, the one and only show that focuses on helping you cut through the noise, invest in yourself, and move past your natural limits. This is everything you need to know about masterminds, brought to you by your host, Brandon Straza. Hey, hey, everybody. Today, we've got Beth Strange, founder of Beth Strange Strategy, and we dive into why you need to get rid of your to-do list. We find out how she helped one of her clients go from an unknown boutique owner to the director of the women's line at Dolce & Gabbana. And we learn why you might have a mission statement at your business, but why you should have a mission statement for your household. Check it out. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show where you know, I believe, the only way to unlock your potential is to tap into the experience of others. And today, to help us do this, we have Beth Strange, the founder of Beth Strange Strategy. Beth, welcome to the show. How is it going? Thank you, Brendan. Um, it's going great. Thanks for having me and just so looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. When the listeners realize all the value that you're bringing and they want to reach out to you, whether it's to work with you or just to to you know, have a conversation. What's the best way they can either A, find you on social or reach out to you? Just my name. If, if you go to bethstrange.com, it's the easiest way. Uh, there's all kinds of contact information there. They can email me, beth at bethstrange.com. Just, just use my name. Uh, you can go to beth.strange on Instagram, bethstrange on Facebook. Pretty easy to find me by my name. There you go. And we'll have it in the show notes as well. So we'll have all of this in the show notes and they'll be able to reach out to you. So let's, let's just dive into it. And let's start out with how we learn and how we used to learn. You know, the ability and the access that we have to stuff has, has just changed, especially over the last five, 10 years. When we were younger, it was textbooks and teachers, and then it became our friends and more family and the people around us. But that's, the reality is that's like a sliver of what's possible. How has your learning changed from your early years versus today? Well, I'm like 109 years old, so I've seen a lot of changes happen over time. Um, I don't know, Brendan how, Brendan, how much you know about me. I started my career in education, and when I was in college, there was at Penn State, there was the, the huge two-block mainframe, you know, computer. Nobody had personal computers, and my first, one of my, one of my first professional roles was at a department chair at a private school, and I was tasked with building the first computer lab. So it was, you know, just an amazing experience to me to see a computer for the first time. I know I'm really dating myself, but so 1986, 1987. And, but I, you know, I, I think about this, I think I had a, a medical emergency myself and, and condition that was newly discovered in 1987. And I went to the Penn State Medical Library and for weeks I sat, you know, in piles of books piled up beside me and it just took me forever to learn, you know, all that was going on. Now, that would take me maybe five minutes. So we all know this. I'm not telling you anything new. The speed with which we can access information is a complete game changer for learning. And now, of course, along with that comes the the real challenge and responsibility to vet the information that we're, you know, that we're picking up online. So 
I think the speed with which we can access information, the breadth of topics and knowledge we can gain online. And I think you know, too, you know, I started my neuroscience studies at Harvard online. I mean, who would have thought years ago when I was in school that that you'd be able to do that? So, yeah, just technology has changed everything for learning. And it's given us enormous responsibility as learners you know, to make sure that we are that we are wise and responsible with the information we're intaking. Yeah. And you said we have a, I think you just said here a second ago, we have a responsibility of the information that we have access to. Dive a little bit deeper, if you wouldn't mind, on what you mean by our responsibility to the information we have access to. Yeah. So I'll give my age away a little bit again here. I, I just think we need to look at our sources. Where are we going for information? And in this conversation, you and I will touch on social media probably a lot and fact checkers, you know, that that's a relatively new uh, phrase, phenomenon, fact checkers. And now we're seeing that the fact checkers aren't, aren't credible in a lot of, a lot of ways. I remember when Snopes first came out and you could go to Snopes and say, oh my gosh, is this true or not? And Snopes was very credible. And now their, you know, credibility and authority has been called into, you know, significant questions. So where we're getting our information Where's the data coming from? Who are we trusting? And, and I, that is an education in and of itself. Where can we go for valid information? You know, I'm, I'm a little bit old school, going back to textbooks, going to academic institutions and looking at validated research. Then we have to question the validity of the research. So I think when I say we have a responsibility, that's not, that's not lip service or a superficial endeavor. We've really got to, you know, do our due diligence and what we're learning. Now, you know, I, I'm learning how to build a pedestal for my new washer and dryer. I'm going to go to YouTube for that and I'm going to get the information that I need. Yeah. It's one of the biggest search tools out there right now is YouTube. It's, it's not just videos. It's really one of the biggest search engines out there, coincidentally owned by Google. And what you said there, which was like, how do we trust and know who we're learning from the information we're taking in? The fact checkers now have to be fact checked. Okay. But that's one of the reasons you and I've spoke about and some of our listeners know that we're building the platform, the success finder, because there is an abundance of people out there that say, hey, I'm the next it thing, whether it's in marketing networking, business, speech, wherever it is, entrepreneurship, and you just really don't know. And it, it makes it discouraging and difficult, but we've got a way around that. So kind of going into how there's just an abundance of this information out there, it can be confusing. Yeah. That's the reality. There's so much out there. Some people, they look for a mentor, others, an accountability buddy, masterminds, coaching, online courses, tons of different ways. Who are you currently learning from? And more importantly, how did you find them? Good question. <laughs> Might not be giving you the answer that you're looking for here. Who am I currently learning from? You know, I, I'm, I'm learning for the, from the, the more historic, timeless, time-proven, brilliant minds. I see a lot of people close to me, clients of mine, some of the general population, learning from the icons that are currently in, in the media and in social media. And I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to disparage anyone. And I know that there is enormous brilliance and life-changing value out there from so many people. But what I, so I'm going to give you who I'm not learning from first, and then I'll tell you who I'm learning from. So many of the, the contemporary icons are, are, they're trendsetters, they're fads or flash in the pan. And, and I'm not saying that they're not giving an enormous amount of value, but 
what I see happening is when there's a, especially in social media, when there's a new face that comes on on board and they're, you know, they're attractive to look at, they're, they're kind of flashy, they sound cool, they create a, a following and an audience. And then in, in not very many years, they're kind of gone. And so I'm really careful, extraordinarily careful about where I'm getting my learning from contemporary people I'm not dissing them. I know that there's great value. When I really need to learn a new principle or or learn about a principle, I, I'm much more comfortable going to you know Dale Carnegie and Napoleon Hill and you know and Thoreau and and Plato and and looking for timeless principles. Of course, there are you know there are business strategists, for example, who who are speaking to new ways of doing business. And of course, we can we can learn from them. There are coaches who I like who are contemporary. Well, I guess they're contemporary. Rich Litvin, for example, Steve Chandler. If we want to talk about coaches. Steve Hardison, you know, the the ultimate coach. But I'm really really careful about getting deeply entrenched in following influencers, which is where I think a lot of people are going. So I go to the timeless people, the timeless standards. And pull those principles that that then I can apply and morph to my own to my own needs. I don't know if that's exactly where you're going, but that's who I'm always learning from. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that you said right there. It's it's not not a strange coincidence. So there's a lot of people that are looking back from to the Socrates and to the philosophers and the people because you can take that and translate it to what is relevant for you and who you want to become today. And then you can take the technology, you can take the social aspect, you can take some of the influencers and you can mix it in there and actually make what you, what you believe in and that you know is tried. And That's true. Right. So it's, it's, not as, it's not as a foreign of a concept learning from those that are no longer with us. They did it and we know they did. So I love it. I love what you said, Brandon, when you talked about, you know, as we're being responsible for where we're getting our learning and we, we look to a mentor or a coach, the personal sphere for me is much more important than the social media sphere. If I need to learn or know or be educated by, for example, in my former company, Chapman International, where we did reputation and brand management, I built a board that, that was filled, 10 seats filled with people, I want to say almost all of them older than me, all of them more successful than I, and all of them wiser than me. So that's a good answer from that I, I would give. Who am I learning from? These are contemporary people in my sphere that I want to learn from because I, I have vetted them. I know them. I, I know that they're credible. You know, finding someone on television to follow and learn from, that's a lot riskier. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And then those are the people like when you get stuck, those aren't the ones that you want to go to. And we do. We get in the bushes, we get in the weeds, and we can't see through our own walls that we put in front of us. You know, right now, we're still going through a pandemic. And I feel that it's causing a bit of a reset in how we're able to accomplish things when we get stuck. Right. How have masterminds helped you when, when you're looking to reset yourself and how you do things to get unstuck? Really important question. All of us live in this thick forest and we, all of us, always benefit from a second set of eyes. So for me, whether it was a, a group or one-on-one mentorship or, you know, I have small masterminds and medium-sized masterminds that I participate in as a participant, there is incomparable value in having somebody from the outside looking in. I mean, I, I, 
you know, I feel pretty confident in what I know and what I do. When I feel like I'm free falling or a, a little bit lost, it's so quick to, to ask questions to people who will give me honest feedback. And, and I know who those people are and, and they're in very defined groups for me. It's just that second set of eyes. I'm so aware that we get, we get nose blind. We, I mean, we know what that is. We don't smell what our houses smell like anymore. I had somebody walk into my house the other day and she said, oh, it smells like, you know, cookies or something or something in here. What is that? And I don't smell anything. And as we recently put our home in the market, we had uh, a potential buyer walking through and they messaged our agent and said, what is that enormous crack along the living room wall? And I thought, there is no crack along the living room wall. I don't know what you're talking about. And they sent me a picture and I thought, oh, I remember that from two years ago, but I have not seen that. It's been there right in front of my face and I haven't seen it in two years. So we all get, we all live in that, that blindness, whatever it is. And even people who are confident and feel like they're moving forward, man, you do that, you know, check up with your trusted advisors and it's extraordinarily eye-opening. Yeah. They'll help you see the crack on the wall <laughs> that you didn't, you forgot was there. Yeah. They'll help you see around corners. Absolutely. Blind corners. Yeah. Because they've already done it. They've made the mistakes. And if you can surround yourself with people that have done it, they don't have to be in the same industry. They can get you to where you're going a lot faster, which is the great thing when it comes to masterminds. Now, masterminds in itself have been around for a long time. We talked about learning from our, from our past. The Apostles probably was one of the first masterminds. Eventually, Benjamin Franklin creates the Leather Apron Club. Yeah. And then there's the guy, Napoleon Hill, who you mentioned that wrote this book called, you know, Think and Grow Rich, I think is what it was. And he brings up the word mastermind to the forefront. That's right. With this large boom of self-education over the last 10 years and just only growing... How do you see the difference between traditional education versus self-education going forward? I don't know that I've really given that any thought. I can talk about it in principle. It's time has come and we have the technology. We, we have this impetus with the pandemic to see, to show ourselves that we really can, we really can do it. I think, you know, Brandon, um, that we, when I say we, I mean me, homeschooled all of our seven children, my husband and I, you know, from kindergarten through to college. And, and we, we, we were not anti-public school. We were just educators and thought we really want to have this experience with our children. And so we went into it, you know, starting in the early 90s. And there, there really wasn't a lot of literature out there on homeschooling like there is now. But we learned really, really quickly, just empirically, that our children learned the best when they taught themselves. And we, we caught onto that pretty quickly and we taught them that, that self-learning was the deepest, best, most long-lasting, uh, effective learning. Not that they needed us and we, and we were involved and engaged and we all need people you know, on the outside. Uh, learning in a vacuum would be, would be not productive or beneficial. So where do I see self-education going? I'm hoping that, you know, the pandemic that has required so many of us, whether school age or not, to, you know, to foster our own education is going to show us that it's possible. We have the tools to do it. You know, when we were raising our family, we, and, and this goes a little bit into the way that I strategize with my clients, we, we did all of the mission statements. We, we, you know, we were doing that when the mission statement thing was really big. And so we did a family mission statement and then we let the kids do their mission statement. And then we had a parenting mission statement, which was we teach our children correct principles and they govern themselves. And we really, really tried to make that work. And we feel that 
all of our children as adults now are successful in very different ways because they learned how to, to teach themselves and learn on their own, you know, with some facilitation. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not an expert. I haven't thought a lot about where it's going. I just think the pandemic has forced us to move into that arena more than, than we have in the past. Yeah. And when we look at mission, vision, values, those are equally as important. If you think about it, we almost have those ingrained, like what's our mission, vision, values in our family. And if you actually speak it, talk it and put it on paper, I think it's an exercise that'd be really cool for my family to do this weekend itself. Now that you mentioned that is, is to write that down. What is it? And if anything is outside that realm, even for our family, that means we just don't do it. Should we do this or should, does it fit our mission, vision, values? Yes. I have to tell you though, and this is the truth. Our children came back with their first draft like in, in two minutes. My husband and I were working on ours as parents and then we were going to do the family one together, but the kids came back and their mission statement was just don't make mom mad. <laughs> that was their, <laughs> they thought that encompasses everything. Like you said, if it's, if it's not out, if it's outside that, we're not doing it. So we sent them back. Hey. Life had to be pretty dang good when it comes to that, then don't make mom mad. Hey, that's the mission. Yeah, you know. That that was their vision. That was it. Yeah, that was it. So yeah. Nice. I like that. I'll I'll, I'll let you know how ours goes this weekend. Yes. So all right. So typically, and let's let's kind of get into to your world. Typically, when someone invests in their future, they've got a better than vague idea of what they're going to get, maybe what the outcome could be. A lot of that is uh, resting on them actually taking action but they're able to have an expectation. What should people expect when they enter the strange reality? Good question. Everyone who knows me, family, friends, colleagues, knows that one of my driving attributes and desires and priorities is structure. And again, I have enormous respect, and I I really mean that, for all the different ways that valid coaches coach You know, I call myself a strategist, not so much a coach. I I don't think coaching should be a label. I think it should be an approach or an activity. So in my strategy work, one-on-one or in groups or or however um, I'm engaged, I'm very structured. So I'm going to say a few things, again, not to dismiss what others are doing. But for me, it doesn't work to have a nebulous, you know, kind of not defined strategy with my clients. I don't go into a session saying tell me how your week was. Tell me how you're feeling. Tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I I think we should go to our friends for that. Also don't think that, well, I know that therapy kinds of conversations and what I do are not appropriate. People should go to their therapist for that. So when they work with me, we're going to have a very descriptive strategy and and customized more descriptive than prescriptive. Although in, in some kinds of strategy, there is some, you know, prescription about how, people can take a look at changing. So the first thing they're going to get is structure with me. I have, you know, whether it's entrepreneurial strategy and the 12 components, uh, you know, that incorporate, well, we'll go through all of them, but, you know, business models and economic models and branding and sales and marketing. So what are the 12 components of successful entrepreneurship? Very, very structured. Uh, High performance coaching. What are the six pillars of high performance and how have those been defined over, you know, we've looked at 70 years worth of high performance. So definitely not a willy nilly, you know, frou-frou-y. Again, I know that the universe does things. I don't really know how to define that, but I'm not for having a conversation with a client or a group and saying, let's just let the universe come to you. (laughs) It's not going to work for me. We're going to have tactical strategy. I think that's 
That's really a hallmark of mine. And of course, there is flexibility and adaptability. We've got to be that way. You you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So they're going to get a structure and they're going to get a a written strategy. Yeah. And there you go. That's a tangible that you can take away from. I was talking with someone just today. I'm like, hey, I need you to let me know what the actual items are that are going to be happening. If we're paying X, this is going to be Y. I know that we have to insert our own action. We can't just expect it to happen. But the reality is, if you want to talk about your feelings, go find your mentor or your therapist. A coach is there to actually kick you in the you-know-what and move you forward. They're not there for your feelings. That's right. Coaches and strategists should not be your friends. You have friends for that. You know, that's they, People feel, fill certain, certain roles. And I, I just really think it's important to define what you're getting. You know, one of my hobbies, I guess, pastimes, loves is car shopping. I just, I have this sick love for, you know, being in the dealership. And I think it, you know, when you're working with a strategist or a coach, you don't want to have something like an experience. If you walk into a showroom and you say, you know, the the manager says, give me $40,000. And after you give me your money, we'll kind of decide, you know, where you're going to end up, what kind of car, what kind of features, like nobody does that. You want to know what you're getting before you purchase whatever the commodity is. So yeah, I think definition is really, really important. Absolutely. And that's a new one to have a sick obsession for car shopping. You might be the only person in the world that like, is like, I want to go car shopping. I'm really good at it. I'm really good at yeah. it. Yeah. All right. You know, let's get into the people that are going through your program. I feel that people have a way of surprising us and they probably have a way of surprising you, you know, with their willingness, their drive, the rooms that you put together, typically you're hand selecting. Sometimes maybe someone slips into that room, but the reality is they probably have a pretty quick exit. Has anyone that has been to, whether you want to call it a mastermind, a coaching session, you know, whatever that is, were they able to surprise you? And then what was the outcome because of going through that with you? Definitely. In my current role and my, uh, my current client pool, so to speak, and then in my 20 years before, you know, working in reputation man- brand and, and image management and PR, I've worked with hundreds of clients. Many of them on a non-disclosure, so I'll be really, I'll be general instead of it, um, really specific. I don't want someone to feel like I've described their their process. But yes, the surprises I've had people um, work with me and save a marriage that was, you know, that that was worthy of saving, but didn't look like that was possible. I've had people. Well, I'll tell you one: someone who came through some more um, more of a structured training with us and really wanted to hit it big. And because of all the work that we did together and, but their drive and what they uncovered that they had no idea they could reach this potential. They became the director of the woman's line at Dolce & Gabbana when they opened their flagship store in New York city and, and went from an unknown, essentially stepped from unknown into that, into that world um, because they were willing to do some really, really hard work and take some really, really big risks. And I'm talking, you know, zero to a hundred in a week. So, I mean, I've seen people keep high profile jobs, people you might know who were on the, on the verge of kind of having their career end to, to being willing to, as I think about people that are popping into my mind to answer your question, they were willing to dig down into, you know, into the, the blood and guts and say, I'm, you know, I'm going full tilt here, whether it was the marriage or the career or career growth athletes that were willing to, to make a push and, you know, and really end up where they wanted to be. People who were willing to take enormous, I don't like the word vulnerable, but I use it here, vulnerable risks and wise, intelligent risks 
and get their money right in massive ways. So yes, I've seen, I hope that gives you some glimpses into, I'm thinking of specific people, but I think the common denominator is a willingness to, to go as deep inside themselves as they could and, and take a risk and have phenomenal satisfaction that they hadn't even imagined. Yeah. Those are, and those are great, like specific success stories without getting to exactly the who's, yeah. especially the Dolce & Gabbana one. Yeah. yeah that I was mean, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That was not on the radar, but you know, and, and I said, why not? Let's do this. Actually, she was in my office when the call, the offer came in. Yeah. And, and they made her the offer. And that was the head of the women's line or? Yeah. So like Madonna, Kim Cattrall, those were her clients. And, you know, she went from, you know, just a small little unknown, you know, one-off boutique and we worked together for probably a year and, you know, and I, let's do it. Why not? You know, why, why not go for it? We all, and I absolutely do. We, um, we suppress ourselves. We, we, I guess it's part of our survival instinct. If we dare to first define and then profess and then work toward, you know, somebody was interviewing me the other day and they, and they asked me, you know, my ultimate, whatever, we're just afraid to even think it, let alone say it, let alone go after it. But I've seen people do it and it's, you know, it's, it's astounding. And, and not that quadrupling your bank account in a, in, a, in a week or, you know, getting a top position or making an Olympic team or whatever it is, is, you know, sometimes scaling means really scaling back. Like, I don't want anything else on my calendar. My dream, I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically, not for myself, although someday. So success, you know, doesn't have to be defined by getting that big thing. Sometimes it's how, how much I'm just ready to scale back and I just want to sit on the dock, you know, and I don't want to work anymore. And that's, you know, that's great. Yeah. And, and speaking of success, I think, you know, we, we talk about on the solo shows, the pillars of success and what it really takes, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people, willingness to invest and, you know, willingness to actually take action through massive, you know, by implementing this action. And I think there's a lot of things that, that we can define success in and what it takes to get their mentorship. Willingness to fail, I think, is a big one. Experimentation, partnerships. But I think the one that I get stuck on or I see people get stuck on sometimes is their willingness to be successful and define that success. With the sensitivity of social media out there, sometimes we're just afraid to share our successes. What do you feel it takes to get over that hump? I think it's honesty. And there, there's so much cookie cutter expectation out there. Again, I'm going to go to social media and influencers. And, and I do follow some of them. And there is great value out there. But I think that if someone defines success in a way that doesn't look exactly like what's out there, maybe even subconsciously, we get crippled by that. People get crippled. Like what I really want doesn't look like what everybody else is saying I should want. So I think it's, um, I think it's an awareness of the need to be honest. And then of course, if people need the courage to be honest, but I don't really think that that's the bottom line. I really think it's awareness. And are we in tune enough with ourselves. You know, I've talked to a lot of my clients who tell me something and that's not it at all. You know, it's not what they, they say what they want because they think that's what people expect or that's what it looks like out there. And it's not that they're being cowardly or unintelligent. We just all fall into these ruts where, okay, well, you know, I should have this kind of position with this kind of money, with this kind of house, with this kind of relationship. And it's when my clients have said, I want something that doesn't look like the norm that we're really getting to it. Okay, now we're getting down to it. What do you really want? What do you really, really want? And usually the first five or six layers is not it at all. Yeah. I mean, if you sit there and say, 
I want to spend more success to me is I want to spend more time with my family, but I also want a million followers on Instagram. Those two don't go together. And so, or if you want them to go together, what does that look like? Yeah. What does it look like? And it's, it's probably not what you're, you're, you're basing it off of someone else. So as we get closer to the end here, I feel that there's always new ideas brewing in times of prosperity, super easy to be successful when things are going good. But I think ingenuity and innovation comes out of when we feel the grind, the squeeze, what, what we're going through right now. What are you working on right now that's going to take place over the next year that really excites you? Growing the mastermind. Yeah, growing the mastermind and, and seeing who, who engage, who's engaged. And you know, I've been thinking a lot about what is the greatest value in a mastermind? There are so many out there. There are so many fabulous you know, group coaching masterminds. They can look they look so different from each other. I'm really excited to define our masterminds and to continually define them so that they're distinct from some of the more commonplace or just so that it's different and people can come to these masterminds, not so much for the structure, obviously will be there, but for who is in the mastermind. My Four of my children well, were basketball players. Three played college basketball. My husband played and coached at the college level. And so I've thought a lot about that. Clients come to me and they say, well, if I could afford it, I'd rather have one-on-one coaching, which I love, um, or one-on-one strategy. And a, and a lot of people are hesitant if they haven't had the experience to get into a group mastermind, especially if they're high profile, you know, high net worth or high profile or you know, a figure that people know. If you think about college or professional teams and you think about the athletes, they can have one-on-one coaching and a lot of them, maybe most of them do have a one-on-one coach, but the real value in coaching, you know, a college or a pro basketball player is in the team setting on the court with the team. And why is that? So we probably don't have time. That's another podcast, but, but why is team coaching so valuable? You know, when you look at an Olympic team, why are they coached as a team as well as, as individually? And so when I think about growing the mastermind over the next year, I think about that. Who is in the mastermind? You know, what the, what the structure is, that's a piece of cake. But it's building the who is in there that's going to make that a one-of-a-kind, incomparable group of people who will strategize and just bring and great intellect and unthought-of ideas you know, into that group. That that's what I'm excited about, is building the it's that collective brain. It's yeah. that symbiotic relationship where if you have one person in the hot seat and then the people around it, the neural network that's going into that and feeding into that, when you can be open and honest about what you're really wanting to get is when yeah. you see some of the greatest growth. And that's the power of what you're going to continue to build over the next year. So let's leave it with, give, give the listeners a tip, a tactic, an actionable item that if they implemented this in the next 30, 60, 90 days, they could see some real results from Beth Strange. I'm going to give you two because the one's really short and then I'll give you my, I'll go fast. Uh, the first one is, and this is one of my, oh, I just love this so much to, to work with people in this regard. The first one is define what it is, one or more things that you don't want other people to know. What is it that you don't want people to know and address that? Whatever it is, what is it that you wouldn't want anybody in this mastermind to know and address that? It will change your life. That's a deep one. One of my favorites. We'll talk about that sometime. The, the other kind of more actionable, which, I, which people can take this to the bank today, is get rid of your to-do list. 
this is a this is a strategy um, that takes some education and practice. But if you can eliminate and never, I'm so anti sticky note. If you can never have a piece of paper that has a, a list or one or two items on it, and you can learn how to do that, it will change your world, your personal professional world. I have gl- I have glass up in my office, and when I have a thought, it goes on the glass but it immediately goes on my calendar. So if it's, you know, call the vet or, you know, work on invitations for the mastermind, it never goes on a piece of paper. It never goes on a sticky note. It never goes on a to-do list. It goes on my calendar. And how long I say, that's going to take me 15 minutes. That's going to take me two hours. I'm doing it on Wednesday from eight to eight 15. And I never have a to-do list. And I get up and I look at my calendar and I am a calendar ninja and get rid of your to-do list calendar. If it's five minutes, two hours, an afternoon, any thought that you would put on your to-do list, put it on your calendar. It will change your universe. I think that's that's a great one to leave it right there is to get rid of your to-do list. It's something I'm going to possibly have to work on. I don't have sticky notes laying all over the place, but I know team members of mine in different companies that I've got, it's like the entire desk is a sticky note. So yeah, it's it gives me anxiety. Beth, I, I appreciate it. I, I love where we started the conversation, where where you brought it to in regards to coaching and masterminds and just actionable items that we can take today. Thank you so much for your time and everything that you instilled us on us today, Beth. Thank you, Brandon. I, I am in awe of what you have built and what you're building. I cannot wait uh, to just ride with you and, and go with you, you know, through 2021. It's going to be an epic journey. It is. And it's a ride together. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for listening to The Mastermind Effect, your secret weapon for personal development. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to experiencing The Mastermind Effect.